Welcome to Science for the People. I'm Bethany Brookshire. I'm Rochelle Saunders. A lot of our lovely listeners recently have become people trying to work from home and homeschool their kids at the same time. While it might seem like childless adults are spending all their time learning how to bake bread from scratch, you're trying to hold a Zoom meeting while trying to find your kid's tablet for the 15th time in an hour. First, I think we can all agree now that teachers are heroes, right? Secondly, this is not the time to become a teacher if you're not a teacher. It is okay to do what you can. It's okay to maybe not give it your all. And it's okay if you don't end up with the next Einstein at the end of all of this. It's okay. It's really hard to keep kids engaged and entertained and try to ensure that maybe they learn something. And it's really hard to judge if something is offering quality educational information. Like, what if that site you're looking at has an agenda? What if they aren't even doing the math right? I don't know about you, but I can't tell. And so we at Science for the People really want to help you. And today we have compiled a massive, but by no means comprehensive, list of science, technology, engineering, and math educational resources for you and your kids. We will go through them now, uh, but we're also going to drop a massive list on the website so you can find them, check them out for yourself. Everything we recommend is free to sign up. Many of them even don't require sign up or information collection at all to help keep your kids safe on the internet. Are you ready, Rochelle? I am 100% ready to go. Let's do this thing. We are starting with the podcasts. All right. So the first one we've got on the list. It's Tumble Science Podcast for Kids. Um, And I think you can find it by looking for Tumblecast or Tumble Science Podcast or Tumble. Um, But it's a fantastic science podcast. Uh, It's designed for kids age range 6 to 12 ish. Uh, And the idea is it's a science podcast with interviews from scientists about what they do. And the goal is not necessarily to like learn everything about black holes, but instead it's more to teach you how science works and what it's like to actually be a scientist. Um, And in my opinion, the best part about Tumble um, is that it is very adult listenable. You don't grit your teeth (laughs) you don't feel like you're being talked down to or cooed at or you know what a lot of a lot of children's uh content does um tumble is not like that and so it's honestly a pleasure to listen to so i definitely recommend tumble i actually listen to it just like for fun excellent sounds really cool it is it is really good and what about wow in the world so Wow in the World is NPR's children's science offering and it's for it's for younger kids. It's more about ages 4 to 8 or so. Um and there's two hosts, there's Mindy Thomas and there's Guy Raz who you might know from How I Built This and Ted Radio Hour and a bunch of the other podcasts. Um and it's very kid focused. Um it's kind of like today we learn about flamingos. Um, it's definitely for younger kids. Mindy has that kid talking voice. Um, it is fast paced and it is energetic and it is designed to keep kids interested. Um, so it's really, it's, it's, it's like if a cartoon was in your ears and about science. So it works really well for younger kids. Excellent. I know, I'm sure for younger kids, it would be difficult to listen to a podcast that was long. Obviously, the long format podcast is great for adults who want to deep dive something, but probably not great for a five-year-old. Yeah, these are short. They're around seven or nine or 10 minutes. Um, so they're they're really good for, you know, kids with a short attention span. Um, and though it's not science, uh, both Rochelle and I want to offer a shout out to Stuff You Missed in History Class because we're huge fans. Big fans. <laughs> and from the standpoint of critical thinking, educational, it's very high value. They do really interesting topics and they do it very well. Yes. And it really is stuff that you missed in history class. So, you know, it's not necessarily the big, huge science events, um, but it's a lot of really cool stuff, including, for example, uh, there's many great episodes on women in the history of science, 
Um, I know they did um, several on the history of nursing, uh, the history of obstetrics, uh, lots of really cool stuff on, you know, women, uh, white women, people of color, uh, native peoples, and, you know, people all over the world who sometimes get missed in our general history books. It's such a good podcast. Definitely check it out. And fun history stuff for really all ages. I think probably once you hit about eight or nine, you're probably fine for stuff you missed in history class. Yes. And they warn you if they're gonna talk about stuff that's not super kid friendly. Always get to have those warnings. Shall we talk about books? Oh, I can always talk about books. (laughs) So it's important to know that many libraries have actually lifted their limits of what people can check out and have a lot of ebook checkouts as well. This is likely true for libraries in your area. So do check in with your local libraries or your, uh, your municipal libraries, state libraries, um, even some of the, the nationalized federal libraries, depending on where you are, may have the ability for you to check out more books than you would normally. And some independent bookstores in areas, especially in the United States, are offering book deliveries, and you can choose the age range that you want. So say you've got a six-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, you can choose those age ranges, and they will drop off a selection of books that have been curated for you and your kids. Um, So it's a great chance to support your local bookstore and also get your kids something new to focus on for five minutes. (laughs) I think being able to provide something for your kids that is educational, but also support your local store is a huge win here. If you have the ability to pay for some stuff, in particular, those shops that right now are struggling because they're closed, if you can throw some money at those places that are trying to get through this time with things like delivery options, please, please do. Yes. Um, And of course, science for the people we interview a lot of science writers (laughs) and scientists who have written books and not all of those books are like super highbrow New Yorker adults only books. Um, A lot of them are actually really, you know, kid friendly. And so Rochelle is curating a massive list of the books on our bookshelf that are appropriate, uh, mostly for teens, though I'm going to give my own personal shout out to the amazing book. Does it fart? which is a book entirely about whether animals fart or not and why. (laughs) And I love it. What could be interesting as well about uh, the books on our bookshelf is a lot of them, if not all of them, that will be on this curated list we've done episodes on. So we'll also link to the episodes. And it might be a great way for the your family to read the books, maybe read them together, and then listen to a discussion about those books. Um, we had a great time talking to some of the writers and authors and researchers who created them. And quite often, we can talk about some stuff in the book in a slightly different way or ask some follow up questions. Um, So do feel free to read the book and or listen to the podcast episode about the book too. Yeah, and some of the books are actually connected with um, experiments you can do at home or citizen science projects or activities. Um, And we'll be talking a little more about some of those later. So there's, there's definitely it's not just sitting and reading, there's some other stuff as well. Bethany, I also want to talk to you about science news for students, because if there was ever a time meant for science news for students, uh, now is the time to shine. So can you talk about uh, what science news for students has? Yeah, so to declare my bias up front, I am the staff writer at Science News for Students. And uh, my wonderful colleagues have been absolutely working overtime. Science News for Students is what it says on the tin. It is science news, the latest news from science written for kids ages nine to 14. Um, And so it's the subjects are science, tech, engineering, math. um, And it's not just news. Um, it's also other things. We offer explainers. We offer experiments. Um, it's just a great resource. And the cool thing is at the bottom of every single article, there's a readability score. And the readability score uh, is an indicator of what U.S. grade it applies to. So if there's a readability score that says six, that means it's appropriate for kids about ages 10 to 12. Um, depending on their abilities. Um, So that's always a good thing. 
we offer experiment collections and most of them are actually by me. Um, so I actually go in, I design experiments um, and I often do videos uh, or blog posts to go along with each one to tell people how to do the experiment, why the experiment is designed the way it is, how to analyze your data. Um, it's a lot of research methods and stuff that kids need to learn if they're interested in science. Um, because Science News for Students is used a lot in classrooms, we also have classroom questions that go along with each of our features. So you can have them read a feature about, I don't know, something cool like dirt. I know we did one about dirt um, that has classroom questions to see what they're getting out of it. And, you know, also to try and be fun, we offer Technically Fiction, which is a series that uses fictional stuff to explore science. So, for example, um, let's talk about Harry Potter, except let's talk about quantum teleportation and Harry Potter. <laughs> we basically take fiction and we say, but what if it were fact? How do you do this? Um, and so that's a good way to kind of inject fun. Uh, every week there's a weekly word. Um, so there's a science word of the week with a definition and also with an audio file. So you can hear how it's pronounced. And they just started a series called Let's Learn About, which is a kind of collection of all the things that you can read if you want to learn about sharks or dinosaurs or black holes. <laughs> Stuff like that. Awesome. I was also curious about the power word section. Uh, I noticed on the bottom of almost every article that I see on Science News for Students, there's a section called power words, which I really like. Can you talk about what that is and why it's there? Yes. So they are uh, unfortunately named, but <laughs> <laughs> power words is the glossary. Um, so every time there's a science term that a kid might not recognize, and that includes everything from, for example, what is data? What are statistics? What is atmosphere? Um, so, you know, some of them are pretty simple and some of them are, you know, pretty complex. What's a hibernaculum? You know, what is a hibernaculum? Uh, so every, a hibernaculum is a place where animals go to hibernate. <laughs> Excellent. See, I learned something. Yeah. I love that word. <laughs> and so every time we use a word in the text that needs to be defined, we include it down in the power words um, so that kids can look stuff up without having to stop. And everything on Science News for Students is free. Um, it does not require a sign up. It does not require a sign in. Everything is free. Definitely an excellent resource. You do good work. Oh, thanks. <laughs> moving on shall we talk about youtube oh yes there is so much youtube <laughs> there is so much youtube but fortunately for us uh in and amongst the memes and the chaos on youtube there's actually some really good educational content for a wide variety of age groups um we highlighted some that we like this is by no means exhaustive. There's a ton of really great educational STEM uh, YouTube out there. But these are some ones that we wanted to uh, raise up as ones that we liked and recommend. So first, I think uh, I would recommend Crash Course. It's got great high quality educational videos. They are used already in classrooms in a lot of cases. Um, and they're all organized into playlists. They're sequential. They You can get something like eight hours worth of learning in smaller kind of five to 15 minute increments. The topics they cover are wide ranging and they don't do just a surface level. Um, it doesn't replace a class, but it definitely gives uh, a lot of educational value in these series. They've got a wide variety of, um, they cover a wide variety of topics from science to literature. And in the post, we will link to all of the ones that are kind of STEMI in nature uh, by topic so that if you're looking for something specific, you can go right there. And I personally highly recommend the set on media literacy for everyone not just for kids. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a couple that aren't strictly speaking traditional science from the standpoint of it's not like the one on chemistry or the one on physics, but there's two that we're going to call out that are really important, especially for people, I think for adults, 
as well as kids, but one is on media literacy and the other one is on navigating digital information because so much is online and so much is being shared by media. It's really important to have these skills and understand how to do and navigate uh, digital information and social media well. Yes. Um, but there's plenty of other YouTube STEM stuff out there. Uh, the crash course, we, we are going to have a huge list. Um, but I can also recommend, uh, this wonderful YouTube channel called SciShow. Uh, this is science news that you can use. Um, and I know that professional science journalists do the writing and the editing. And I also know their fact checker. So <laughs> I promise everything on there has been fact checked within an inch of its life. Um, SciShow has, loads of cool channels um including like your basic science uh discoveries of the week um there's also scishow in space scishow in psychology and there's a special one that's scishow kids um so scishow is kind of for kids older than 10 scishow kids aims a little younger but it's great for kids of all ages I want to call out number file because there's so few math YouTube channels out there that I really like. There's two really that I would like to call out number file and Viheart. So number file is interviews with actual mathematicians about a strange and interesting math topics. This one's probably better targeted to teenagers rather than uh, younger kids, because it does get into some of the more esoteric stuff, but it does it in a really accessible and interesting way. And it's so great to see math mathematicians getting excited and talking about the math that they work on. Uh, so it's a really great channel. Um, I also highly recommend Viheart. Uh, she does math and statistical videos, and she has a really great um, a really great way of doing them on kind of drawing out on big pieces of paper. And she makes a lot of more complex mathematics really accessible. Again, probably best for teenagers. But really important, it is hard to find like not super basic math on the internet. Yeah, if you're, I mean, it's, it's, you can sort of find basic math, but once you get uh, beyond a really basic level, trying to get into some of the more interesting, uh, complex mathematics, there's some really interesting hooks there. Um, and both Viheart and Numberphile do it really well. Um, I really like Scientific American. So you might be familiar with Scientific American as a magazine. Uh, they also have a YouTube channel uh, and they have playlists full of tons of different uh, concepts in science, recent discoveries in science. And almost all of them are kind of good for kids. Um, a lot of them are kind of aimed at a slightly younger audience. Um, so they're really good for kind of you know, video engagement. Um, I also really love uh, the American Chemical Society does a video series called Reactions. Uh, and it's chemical stuff on video. And it's really awesome. I've actually been in a couple of them. I was in one on cookie science, uh, baking cookies with science. Um, and I know there are some on fun, cool topics like poison. <laughs> because who doesn't love poison um, and cool things like material science. It's a great way to kind of help people engage with chemistry. If you like material science, I also recommend periodic videos. It's also a really excellent channel um, created by the same uh, guy that created number file, but he's got videos on all of the elements on the periodic table. He goes through them one by one um, and talks about them, digs into them a little bit. There's explosions for some of them because, ex of course, some of those uh, some of those um, elements are inherently explosive. It's a really fun channel uh, to go through. I think they've also started remaking some of their old videos and focusing a little bit more on some of the elements that maybe they felt like they didn't do quite as good a job on the first time around. Um, there's new stuff coming through that channel. It's really great. Um, I personally love if you like gross science and who doesn't like gross science. Um, it's not being updated anymore, but Anna Rothschild um, did a fantastic series called gross science. And it is just as amazing as you hoped it would be. <laughs> Um, definitely aimed at kids roughly ages 8 to 14, I would say. Um, 
and just a fantastic resource for engagement. Um, also, if you love TED Talks, you might like TED Ed. Um, so TED has actually created a whole series of videos that are designed for use in schools. Um, they're kind of TED-y, you know how TED Talks are. Um, <laughs> in this TED Talk, I will tell you about TED Ed. <laughs> Uh, it's lots of great original animated videos. They put them together with input from teachers and educators, um, and they're primarily designed for use in schools. But of course, they are free and they are available. And so I definitely recommend TED Ed if you want to check it out. I'm also going to recommend uh, the videos at the Royal Institution on YouTube. In particular, they're, they've got there the Christmas lectures from 2018, which run in London. Uh, they're really great, uh, definitely designed for kids. They have kids in the studio audience with their parents, uh, broadly speaking, between the ages of about seven, eight and up. Um, very much an all family kind of uh, science lecture. They're really, really great. And they've got in particular, the ones from 2018 up on their YouTube channel, which you should absolutely check out. All right, next up, we have a few gamified uh, learning resources. In particular, when we were doing some searching for resources about mathematics, um, mathematics is something that to teach is, I think, a little easier to gamify than some other topics. So we did find a few interesting resources that have free offerings in particular um, across a wide variety of age groups uh, that we would recommend you check out and see if they're suitable for uh, your kids and um, what they're learning right now. So one of them is called Breakout uh, EDU, Fun at Home. They've provided some free resources, and they're all gamified. Uh, and they call out what grade level they're available for. And they've kind of got the page sorted into different grade levels. So from kindergarten to grade two, from grade three to grade five, grade six to eight, uh, and nine to 12. So a good resource to take a look at and see if there's something there that can keep your uh, kids' math skills up to scratch. We've also got the Math Playground, which is a gamified uh, math-focused learning website from first to sixth grade. Uh, looks like a lot of really interesting uh, gamified systems here for, in particular, uh, addition, subtraction for the younger kids, but it also gets into fractions, ratios, uh, some pre-algebra stuff, some geometry games, um, some logic games. So definitely one to check out. Another one is... The and uh, the Maths Factor um, is another one with um, a... Uh, with I think her name is Carol... Borderman. Um, and she offers uh, math resources for ages four to 12 years. And they're matched to the national curriculum in the United Kingdom. So if you want to try and keep your kids on track with their grade. Um, similarly, Prodigy um, is a curriculum aligned math platform that is specifically matched to United States curricula. Um, so that can help if people are trying to kind of, if they don't really know what their kids are doing in their classes, <laughs> these might be a little more aligned with what your kids might actually have been doing in class had they actually been in class. <laughs> Math is one of those ones that I think a lot of parents are struggling to do from home, because to be honest, it's been a long time since a lot of us have done math class. Yeah, I mean, and in my case, I am always eager for someone else to check my math. <laughs> and it would be better if the person checking my math was actually better at math than I am. I never have that problem because I live with a mathematician. I'm always near somebody who's better at math than me. So video is not just available on YouTube. I know, crazy statement to make on the internet today, but there are actually, what? I know, How dare you say such a thing? <laughs> there are some videoed learning resources out there that aren't on YouTube. So the first one I want to call out is uh, a site called hippocampus.org, which by the way, is a great name. Um, they've Get got it? some hippocampus. I know they've even eh? got a hippo on their logo. It's great. <laughs> Uh, they've got some free educational resources for middle school to college. Um, and a lot of it is a videoed. So they've got a wide variety of um, subject areas that they break down, uh, and lots and lots of video content on here, um, that is very much designed to be educational. Uh, so definitely something to check out. And it looks like they also do textbook and standards correlations for people who are interested in that. I would, it looks like, um, in particular in the U.S. 
And uh, Mystery Science is another website that offers video learning. Um, it's organized kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, so there's various lessons, uh, like little mini lessons, which are only about 15 to 30 minutes. Um, so, you know, limited uh, attention spans. Uh, and then full lessons are 45 to 90 minutes. Those actually include a hands-on activity. So, you know, parents might have to get involved. Uh, one of the things I like about Mystery Science is they offer it in Spanish. Yes, that's uh, really great. And, which is really important. Um, so that's always a good thing to have as well. So learning, of course, is not just about reading and watching videos. You also want to get your hands dirty. You want to do some hands-on activities because a lot of science, uh, math, engineering, it's not a spectator sport. Sometimes to learn things, you've got to actually do the stuff. And it's also useful when, you know, your kids have been cooped up too long to give them something to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Um Obviously, one of uh, the great STEM things that is an activity and you really need to learn it in order to understand it is coding. Um, I, of course, am a programmer, so I'm probably really biased, but learning to code is such a valuable skill and tool, but also it teaches you a lot about thinking logically, how to break things down into small chunks, how to tackle a problem. So definitely a great educational activity and a lot of kids really take to programming. There's some great online learning resources for this that are completely free. So if you've got young kids who are interested in programming, um, Scratch from MIT is a great first programming language. It's really visual and interactive. You can create cool little games and animations and stories to share with other people. It's a really great kind of my first programming language that starts to get you thinking about how to talk to a computer and get it to do what you want it to do, but also how to break something down into small bits and pieces, but also it gives you a chance to be creative. You can tell a story, you can create an animation, you can create your own game. So it really fulfills both the kind of logic side and also the creativity outlet. It's a great activity to do with kids. If you've got uh, someone who's way more interested and wants to actually learn uh, a programming language that's used in the real world, I highly recommend Code Academy. There's both paid courses and free courses, and they have a lot of great free courses on everything from Python to JavaScript to PHP, uh, a wide variety of stuff here that you can learn for web development to start creating little web pages. You can create your own little games, your own little tools that do things. You can do a little bit of data science. Um, there's a, a lot you can do with just a little bit of computing code. Um, and the last one I want to talk about briefly is if you're in Canada and have a coder in your household, um, there is Code Club Canada, where you can do virtual Code Club sessions, and there's a weekly schedule. It looks like you can uh, join on some kind of uh, virtual browser-based tool. All it appears you need is a computer with a microphone and an internet connection, and you can join the Code Club, which is really cool and a great way to socialize with people. Yeah, I am not a coder, um, <laughs> but I am also a huge fan of hands-on science and interacting with people. Um, so I actually highly recommend Skype a scientist. Um, they've been usually Skyping with classrooms, but now they're actually opening up to families. So if you are a family and you want to talk to a real honest to goodness scientist, um, you can fill out a form on their website. They will match you with a scientist and you and your family can have a question and answer session with a real real hardworking daily scientist. Um, it's a great opportunity, uh, partially because I know many people actually don't personally know a scientist. Um, so this is a really cool way to kind of meet one in real life. And uh, it's also a cool way to speak to someone who's not in your house <laughs> if you've been cooped up too long. <laughs> Another really great kind of virtual field trip um, kind of live event is from a site called Exploring by the Seat of Your Pants, which, by the way, is a great name. Um, but they've got a huge number of live events ongoing with guest speakers, virtual field trips via Google Hangout. Uh, just scrolling through today, it looks like they've got some really cool upcoming stuff. Um, OceanWise at Vancouver Aquarium, Exploring the Deep Sea. They've got uh, SciComm Story. 
story time. They've got uh, Explorer Classroom live from the rainforest canopy. There's a bunch of really interesting stuff on here. And it looks like there's a kind of never ending cascade of live events you can tune into and watch. Um, so potentially also a really great thing to try and build a schedule around. Um, maybe every Wednesday at 1pm, you find something to, to watch to sit down and watch together and talk about. Uh, really interesting looking site. And it looks like they've got a lot of great content there. Um, I also love things that, you know, you don't just watch, you actually do. Um, and I love designing experiments. I do it for science news for students, um, for people to do at home. But of course, a lot of times they're like, oh, you know, do this experiment at home with the at-home materials that you have. And the at-home materials are, are not things that you have. <laughs> Like, they're like, all you need for this is, you know, a 580 million caliber laser and a space rocket. Um, so one of the things I love about Steve Spangler Science is their experiment library really does honestly require what you have at home, like a bag of chips or an egg or a tablecloth or, or sugar yeah, or matches, you know, things you, you probably don't need to go on a special shopping trip for. Um, so that's a really useful thing, I think. I found uh, this website called Maker Fun Daily Challenges. This is from Brilliant Labs. And this looks like a really great activity and challenged based uh, home learning place. Some of them are scratch challenges. So you build things using scratch. But other things are... Um, for example, build a structure. Uh, how will you make changes to your design and improve the structure? So you build something fun out of things like cardboard, glue, fabric, paper, and try and make it taller, try and see how big you can make it. They have a challenge about building some kind of vehicle. Um, lots of really interesting and different types of challenges and activities for you to do together. And it looks like they're posting pretty much one a day. So there's always something new coming in, which is really cool. And for people who have Lego fans and in particular Minecraft fans in their home. I also found uh, Lego challenge cards and Minecraft challenge cards where they give you a challenge to do either with Lego, the Lego that you have, or uh, something to do with Minecraft. So if you've got a fan of either of those, or maybe both, could be some interesting activities here that really challenge you to solve a problem and think through how you're going to meet the challenge goals. Because a lot of learning isn't about necessarily understanding facts and figures, that can be part of it. But sometimes it's about how to tackle a problem and how to think about a problem. And do you want to talk about, I know you think this is especially cool, the letters to a pre-scientist, because this just seems so sweet. I really, really love letters to a pre-scientist. If you go back into the archives of uh, Science for the People, um, we actually did an interview uh, and uh, talked about this ages and ages ago. But this is effectively like scientist pen pal. So they help students form friendships with STEM professionals from around the world. It's a cross-curricular experience um, where students can improve their reading and writing skills, but also broaden their understanding of world geography and culture. And um, it has a science bent as well, because you're actually connecting students with scientists. I had a pen pal as a kid, and I absolutely love the idea of having a sciencey pen pal uh, somewhere else. That is really, really cool, and uh, people should check it out. I also want to talk about a couple of other sites that I found that uh, look like they have some great resources that are really focused on hands-on activities, in particular for younger kids. The first one is called um, Oxford Owl, Help Your Children Learn. This one is a UK resource. It looks like it's got things broken down by ages, as well as years. In the UK, everything's done by year one, year two, rather than uh, grade one, grade two. Kind of similar, but a little different. Um, but there's lots of different activities here, right from ages five all the way up to uh, ages 11. So really good hands-on activity sheets, um, spelling lists, uh, all kinds of, of different things uh, for you to do with your kids at home. 
And then the other one is uh, a math site. So this is called myminimaths.co.uk, uh, another UK resource, but a treasure trove of downloadable worksheets and activity pages uh, with a math focus for kids from year one right up to year 12. So there's a lot on here. This is not really a gamified site. It's really about um, worksheets and activity sheets, but probably good practice for kids across all ages and ability levels. And they are worksheets that you don't have to make. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> okay, so right now you can't take your kid to a museum. Even if you could go outside, the museums are closed. Um, it's pretty tragic, actually, because I personally love museums, but the great thing is that a lot of museums have, for the past few years, kind of been building out their online resources. Um, so there's one site called uh, mcn.edu, which is actually the ultimate guide to virtual museum resources. <laughs> so it has opportunities for you to go to virtual museums. Um, you may not be able to go in person, but you can click a few links and see some cool things around the internet. For example, they have access to the Smithsonian. Um, they have a science museum group, which is science museums across the United Kingdom. Um, and of course, they're divided by topics. So there's like art and culture, um, there's science, there's history. Um, and there's also a couple of places where you can explore national parks. What's really cool about this beyond the fact that it is, holy smokes, a huge list of museums of all stripes, kinds, galleries, etc., is that it isn't just US focused, it isn't just Canadian focused, it isn't just UK focused, it has got a huge list of English speaking resources, it's massive, it's very well organized, um, definitely check this out, there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, they also have a link to a video that I cannot believe I didn't list on YouTube, The Brain Scoop from the Field Museum at Chicago. Oh, of course. Got to go to the Brain Scoop. How could we miss that one? I don't know. But the Brain Scoop is a wonderful uh, YouTube series that explores kind of the back uh, catalog of the Field Museum at the University of Chicago. And host Emily Grassley is a tour de force of YouTube. So I highly recommend. There are some great places that have awesome virtual tours and resources online. You can, the San Diego Zoo has some fantastic stuff, including some live cams where you can watch animals, which is so cute. Um, Yellowstone National Park has some great tours. Uh, there is, uh, what else do we have? Um, you can oh, there's see the animal cameras. Animal cameras are so good. They're very soothing <laughs> I mean, as well to just like have oh, on in the man. background. There is nothing more soothing than just like opening up the Georgia Aquarium jellyfish cam and just like watching it. So soothing. You can do a virtual tour. <laughs> you can also learn. They have Monterey Bay Aquarium has live cams. Um, there's a panda cam at the Zoo Atlanta. Um, you can watch beluga whales at the Georgia Aquarium. There's all sorts of educational animal cameras. And then maybe while your kids are watching the educational one, you can open up the jellyfish and just breathe. <sighs> just chill. Just jellyfish yeah. and chill. <laughs> you can do a tour of the Great Wall of China, which is really really neat. Um, you can see the Saturn V rocket on YouTube uh, at the U.S. Space and Rocket Museum in Huntsville, Alabama. There's some really fantastic tours, including exploring the surface of Mars on the Curiosity rover. How cool is that? And there's a virtual field trip of the Louvre, oh. which is great because, I mean, some of us will probably never get to the Louvre anyway, even when travel restrictions are lifted. But now you can take a virtual tour of the Louvre. Uh, which actually, honestly, I have to say I've been to the Louvre. The Mona Lisa is really small. Yes. So at least in the virtual field trip, it'll be larger. <laughs> and you can't really get close to it. Yeah, you can't. So you actually kind of get to see it a little better. <laughs> There's a ton of places to do virtual visits. This is a really cool thing that a lot of aquariums and zoos and museums are starting to do a lot more of, which makes them a lot more accessible and opens up their collection to a wider group of people. 
there's something special about the hands-on stuff, but also you can get a lot out of uh, the curated stuff that they've made available as well. And sometimes you get to see the kind of behind the scenes, which is really neat um, that you can't see when you go in person. The New England Aquarium has some really great virtual visit stuff. And they have a live series as well. Fridays at 11 a.m. Uh, it does an explore in residence uh, there's their explorer in residence and National Geographic photographer Brian Scary presents a series of Facebook Live kind of mini lectures. Uh, those are happening right now, so check those out. Um, really, really cool stuff going on there. They also offer a uh, tour of their sea turtle hospital, which oh. is pretty pretty great. <laughs> Love that. And of course, uh, all the big ones, if you are a big fan of the Natural History Museum in London, they have a massive online section that has articles, uh, covers a wide variety of things in their collections, interviews people, they've got videos, they've got news, um, they've got just so much wildlife stuff, a whole space section, a whole section on human evolutions, oceans, uh, just huge amount of stuff. You Much like if you've ever been to the Natural History Museum, you know that one does not simply spend an afternoon there. You have to like dedicate a lot of time because you can only explore a small pocket. You could probably find a small pocket of this website and spend a lot of time just on a particular topic learning about it. And it would be a really great thing to potentially sit down and do with your kid. Kind of play the, the Wikipedia rabbit hole game where you start clicking and see what you can find. Um, just do a little bit of, of, of clicking and see what you stumble upon in the Natural History Museum website. Kind of like if you were just wandering around the aisles and wandering around the collections. So there's also a lot of science sites on the internet that offer, you know, just science information, explainers, um, you know, articles, classroom resources that you can use. Um, you know, many of you might be familiar with the giant yellow square that is National Geographic. Uh, and National Geographic offers a whole bunch of classroom resources. Um, and so it's not just for classrooms anymore. Um, there's a whole section on things like heroes in science. Um, and so they've got a whole section on Jane Goodall this month. Um, they've got a section on women in NASA, uh, microbes, all that kind of cool stuff that you can use. There's also an education resource library um, that has uh, sections of different resources you can use that includes the grade level that those resources are aimed at which can definitely help when you're looking for stuff for your kids. And because National and Geographic has been around forever, there are thousands and thousands of things that they've got in this search, which uh, I'm just looking at the filter, you know, over 4,000 for grade eight, over almost 3,000 for grade five. Like there's a lot of stuff here. Yes. And for the younger, younger kids, um, they offer, there's a separate website called National Geographic Kids. Um, and they have their whole set of like 10 cool facts about rats, which I mean, everybody loves rats. Okay. I love rats. Maybe not everybody loves rats. Um, but all sorts of really cool, very kid oriented stuff from National Geographic, which means you not only get science, you also get history, archaeology, that sort of thing. Recently on the podcast, we interviewed a couple of wonderful ladies from CPAWS, the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. And uh, one of their chapters, the chapter in Southern Alberta, has actually put together uh, their Bring Nature Home Education Kit. It's a set of Google Drive docs that you can click through uh, to different directories and folders. And they've got a lot of resources here um, that are specifically targeted to being a parent or a teacher. And you can click through and say, my kids are in elementary, and then click on one of the documents. And it provides you with different types of resources and a bit of a description on uh, what it is. And they're updating this regularly. So it's coming out, uh, someone's going through and curating this. What's interesting as well for this is some of the activities and some of the information is a bit regional. And um, I wanted to highlight this because I think there is 
is some really great stuff here for you no matter where you're from, but also to check out some of your, a reminder to check out some of the regional um, nature preserves, organizations, science centers. Um, for example, where I'm from in Edmonton, there's a place called the John Jensen uh, Nature Center, and there's almost certainly some great virtual and online learning tools that will give you a hyper-local bent um, and a hyper-local look at some of the, in particular, ecological stuff around you and focus on educating and learning in your own local natural environment. Because obviously, the natural environment for someone down living in Florida is very different than someone in Southern Alberta. So the CPAWS site might not be great for everybody, uh, but it's more of a reminder to take a look at some of that hyper-local stuff that you think you can't go to. They probably have some online stuff you can look at and still leverage. And speaking of uh, looking at your local environment, I'm going to go ahead and plug Birds of the World, which is a site um, run by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, which is one of the I'm just going to, I have to include this pun, one of the best flocks of bird experts. Oh, oh. Look, it's all I've got, okay? I mean, it makes (laughs) me happy that you did it. (laughs) I'm so, I'm so glad. Um, Anyway, it's a great flock of bird experts um, at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and uh, they offer this huge site called Birds of the World. It's, there's limited access for free. Um, It's pretty cheap to sign up. And you can explore the taxonomy of birds. And it's got beautiful, beautiful photos. It's got audio recordings. So, you know, on the daily walks that you get outside, you can take a look at birds. And then you can go back and learn about them. And birds are kind of amazing, you guys. I'm not gonna lie. I love that you can hear what the birds sound like. That makes me really happy. Um, if you pop on over to the BBC, you will find BBC Bite Size. This has a huge amount of learning focused information and activity specifically geared towards students at all level, at all age groups, age three, right up to 16 plus. Um, in the UK, it's a lot of it's been mapped to different learning levels. So GCSEs, A levels, that kind of stuff. And uh, beginning the 20th of April, they're actually going to start publishing publishing daily online lessons for all ages. And there's going to be a new dedicated TV channel full of learning content, um, podcasts on BBC Sounds, and a lot of educational videos on iPlayer. So the BBC is really starting to ramp up its educational content focused to help parents and their kids stay uh, learning while everybody's at home, which is great. I also want to call out the terrific scientific area of the BBC, which also has some really great learning resources, um, some investigations you can do at home, some really fun activities that you can do with just stuff you have in your house, um, as well as just teaching stuff, uh, lots of different investigations that they've done, some games and activities and quizzes are really great resource to just try and uh, get your kids interested in science topics. So next up, I wanted to talk a little bit about some mixed learning because there's a lot of sites out there that provide learning resources. It's not just videos. It's not just audio. It's not just articles. It's a hodgepodge of everything. Bethany, do you remember Scholastic? Oh, God, who doesn't? Who doesn't? (laughs) Everybody had Scholastic. And I feel like most of us have fond memories of Scholastic. Well, Scholastic has some great online resources for kids from uh, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten up until grade uh, nine. There's some fabulous resources at their Learn at Home website um, that you can go through. They've got some free worksheets, activity and activities. Um, so again, a lot of downloadable resources. You don't have to build the worksheet. Scholastic has done it for you, which is great at this time. And they've got a whole uh, site that they've put together on resources for families that have some additional resources just to create, just to keep learning going while everybody's at home. And they're going to be updating it uh, as we go through the next, uh, the coming weeks or months, however long this last. So it looks like uh, they're going to continue to build out that resource, which is great. Um, I actually just love to say the name Wonderopolis. Um, <laughs> and ev- so it's a website, a science, edu- a, a, an educational website that offers every day a wonder of the day. Um, and 
they're, they offer a wonder of the day and it's a question and then it explores the question um, from a whole variety of different angles. Um, so for example, the one they've got up right now is who's afraid of the big bad wolf. Um, and it's about fairy tale villains and it allows you to sit here and say, okay, let's learn about wolves and what we know about wolves from stories and what we know about wolves from science and what the stories tell you about, um, you know, how we persuade people and how we try to, you know, change the way that people think. Uh, and the great thing about Wonderopolis is at the bottom of every article, they offer the common core learning standards that they're aligned with. Um, so that's a United States thing um, for reading comprehension. Um, and so they are aligned with a whole bunch of different standards that you can look at every single day. Wonderopolis, for anyone who's never heard of it, comes from the National Center for Families Learning in the US, which is working really hard to try and eradicate poverty through educational solutions for families. So they're, all of their stuff is free. I'm pretty sure all of their stuff is free. It's very much focused on providing learning activities and educational resources for everybody. Yes. And it's for more of younger kids. So, you know, fairy tales, stuff like that, ages about four to nine. Also in Canada, there's Ingenium. In particular, for people in Ontario, there's a lot of links to the Ontario um, school system and the Ontario curriculum. Uh, but there's a lot of really interesting courses on here, science, cooking, uh, a wide variety of stuff uh, that is suitable for a wide variety of grade levels and specifically mapped to the Ontario and Quebec curriculum. Kind of like a MOOC, but for very much targeted to grade school kids. Um, and there's whole modules, you can get a guide. Uh, it looks like when you download these, it's very much assuming that you as a parent will walk through some stuff with your kid and work with them um, on some of this content and some of the learning objectives. Uh, but definitely there's some good stuff here and a lot of resources to download to help you help your kids walk through some of this information. So it seems to be a pretty good resource. And of course, I'm sure some people have probably been like, oh, no, what do I do to like educate my kids at home? I know I'll just Google NASA. NASA knows this and NASA has your back. <laughs> um, so NASA.gov has a whole STEM section uh, that's actually organized by grade level. Um, and it's supposed to be for educators, but I guess we're all stuck being educators right now. Um, so there's like kindergarten through fourth grade, fifth through eighth grade and nine through twelve. Um, with different things that you can do from like coloring books, but also video series. Um, you can also, for the older ages, they offer things like NASA data that you can analyze, that your kids can analyze themselves. Um, so it's a great, well-organized set of educational materials. And also, if you just need to relax, NASA has a whole set of galleries with gorgeous space pictures. I was kind of literally just going to point out that while your kid okay. is looking at NASA activities, <laughs> you can use that as an excuse to just uh, go through their galleries because their their imagery is so amazing. So pretty. So good. So there's also some great stuff that kids can do if they want to actually contribute to science themselves. Uh, there's really awesome citizen science projects all over the internet that you can find and give to your kids and they will try them out um, and also actually contribute to science. Uh, so for example, I am a huge fan of Zooniverse. Um, Zooniverse has a whole set of real honest to goodness science, citizen science projects that people can contribute to. Um, it's no longer live, but I've spent way too many hours on Zooniverse spotting penguins for science. <laughs> they just give you all of these photos and you have to say, does this photo contain a penguin? Yes or no. Uh, Zooniverse right now has a really cool project on mice where people watch videos of laboratory mice um, in their cages and code what those mice are doing. And that actually teaches people about mice. Uh, but it also contributes to citizen science about understanding mouse behavior that can help scientists as they work with animals that are so important in research. Um, I'm also a huge fan of a uh, Landsat science project from NASA. Uh, Landsat is a set of satellites 
um, and they take pictures of the earth just all the time. And so out of that, there's this wonderful, incredibly calming citizen science project called Floating Forests. And you just go there and they give you an image and they and you say, does this contain kelp? And if it does, you draw a little circle around the kelp and then you move on to the next one. It's actually astonishingly relaxing. <laughs> and you can contribute to science and help uh, scientists see where kelp forests are around the world. NASA has some really great citizen science projects. There's a few out there that are still up and running. Um, if you provided the link to their general citizen science project section, um, but they have a huge number of really great citizen science projects that you can, uh, you and your kids can, can join in on. It's really cool. Um, of course, there's the fact that most of us are kind of stuck indoors a lot. But luckily for us, in the words of the Citizen Science Project, you are never home alone. And not in the creepy ghost kind of way. In the way that I suppose is almost creepy. In the spiders and insects and dust mites kind of way. <laughs> Which might creep you out. I don't know your life. Um, but there is a great Citizen Science Project from iNaturalist um, that invites you to record the species that you see in your homes. Um, and so you can send in, you know, what you see, where you live, and they will use that to kind of like understand the animals that live with us um, in our houses, which is a great contribution to science. There's also Journey North where you can help track migrations and seasons. So if you're out walking around um, and looking at the different um, birds and butterflies, you can help by joining Journey North and keeping an eye on some of the migrations. You can report your sightings during fall and spring uh, and all times of year when you're seeing different kinds of creatures, uh, what stage they're in. For example, they've got tracking monarch butterfly migrations. Um, so you can report your sighting for the fall and the spring as the monarchs travel to and from Mexico. Uh, you have real-time migration maps and migration news that you can follow. So you also get updates more broadly rather than just your sort of small view of what's happening. You can follow and see what what's going on uh, more broadly, which is really great. Um, Journey North is a fun one because there's probably some sort of migration happening in your area. So even though we can't go very far from our homes right now, uh, you can look in your own back garden and see what types of, of creatures you might be able to help uh, track migrations for. And if you're specifically out on walks looking at birds, there's an app for that. It's called eBird. Um, and that app allows users to enter the birds that they've seen. And not only do you get more information about the birds that you've sighted, you also contribute to citizen science. Um, and so you can help track migratory bird species as they come through. And you can also learn about the species that are around you um, as you go on your walks or look out in your backyard. I want to call out Nature Watch. They've got several different great citizen science uh, projects. One of them, which is called Worm Watch, which is really cool. Um, Worm Watch! It's so good. You can learn about the soil ecosystem, and you're monitoring the worms in your area and providing information to them about what the worms in your area are up to. There's also Ice Watch, which is helping us understand climate change as it happens. We provide citizen science records to better understand and monitor the ice in your area. And in particular, right now, for a lot of people who live in Canada, um, the ice is starting to melt. It's not fully gone yet. Uh, and in some places, it's just starting depending on where you live. But this is a really great opportunity to help uh, monitor that ice and feed that information in your local area on rivers, on lakes, on anything like that back to uh, the scientists who can start to look at that data more broadly and understand what it means from a global warming standpoint. Um, and there's also, if you're looking for kind of general citizen science apps um, or general citizen science projects, I highly recommend SciStarter, um, which is a just a big compilation of citizen science projects, um, including things like TreeSnap, where you, you know, log trees, um, logging evidence of climate change uh, in your locality um, and all sorts of really cool different 
projects. Uh, they, they even have one which is kind of timely on tracking influenza near near you. <laughs> Um, so it's a really cool opportunity to see all sorts of different citizen science projects. Yeah, there's a few places that have kind of compilations and point to a lot of different citizen science projects. Once again, National Geographic has a great uh, section in their resource library that points to some citizen science projects, including one uh, that's coming up in April. Um, this month, Globe at Night, it's an international citizen science campaign to raise public awareness of the impact of light pollution, and it invites citizen scientists to measure and submit their night sky brightness observations. It's super easy to get involved, and it's just one of many uh, citizen science projects linked to from National Geographic's resource page. And most of the citizen science projects tend to be pretty nature focused, kind of on what you can see around you. But there's a cool citizen science project called Fold It um, that allows you to play with protein shapes. <laughs> and in the meantime, it actually contributes uh, to citizen science. Um, it's basically fun puzzles uh, that help scientists understand how proteins fold, um, which can really contribute to a lot of chemistry and medical knowledge. Some people probably can't go out very much, um, but I don't know about you guys, but I have to drive my car around once a week to make sure the battery doesn't die. <laughs> and the good news is while you're doing that, you can look for roadkill because in the United Kingdom, there's a project called Project Splatter that you can use to report the roadkill that you see to help people in the United Kingdom think about biodiversity um, in their area. It's pretty amazing. So if you're driving around, keep an eye out for bodies. Oh, that sounds so bad. I know. <laughs> of course, when a lot of people think about online learning, one of the first things you think about are these things that I feel like everyone was talking about MOOCs like a few years ago. Don't you remember everybody talking about MOOCs? Yeah, like MOOCs were like the big thing that were going to completely like revolutionize education it was MOOCs everywhere. And like they still exist, which is cool. And I'm glad they do. But it definitely didn't revolutionize education. Yeah, so MOOCs are massive or yeah, massive open online courses. Um, and while they didn't revolutionize education, they are here for you now. And thank goodness for that. Um, I personally have some experience with Coursera, um, which is a set of free MOOCs. Uh, most of the MOOCs are very much for older students. They tend to be for high school and up. Um, but I've done a few of the Coursera courses, and they are really very informative. Um, sometimes they're not super fun, but they're definitely informative, and they can definitely teach you a lot. So if you're stuck indoors and you figure now is the time, uh, for example, to learn about R or get basics on statistics. I know Coursera also offers a big course on epidemiology. Might be a good time for that. There's a lot of different MOOCs out there beyond Coursera. You've probably heard of some of these before, and this is definitely something that would be geared towards older high school students, university students, or like Bethany said, if you have extra time on your hands, because now you're at home. Um, maybe in the UK here, we've uh, got some people that have been furloughed, 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 I think. Sorry. <laughs> Here in the UK, we've got people who've been furloughed and can't work. Um, so it's something that you can do to kind of keep your brain occupied, even when you can't work right now. Uh, you've got Khan Academy, you've got edX, there's a bunch of free MOOCs there. OpenLearn has a, some great free courses. And if you look at some universities, they've also got some uh, specific courses that they offer for free that are a little bit closer to home. So I know, for example, the University of Alberta in Edmonton has some free Coursera MOOCs that they've partnered with to deliver. There's also CK20. Um, and this is a MOOC style, but it's actually geared more towards grade school students. So from grades one uh, up until I think all the way up until grade 
Uh, yeah, they've got like algebra and pre-calculus on here. So it's got a wide variety of stuff. Um, and this is linked into textbooks. And also if you click through, they give you some standards alignment information for different states in the US. Um, and there's a lot here. It runs, it has a very mooky vibe to it, but geared towards a uh, younger audience and uh, with the standards alignment makes it really, really helpful. So check that one out too. And that's all we've got for you today. That is, of course, not everything out there. The internet is a wild and often wonderful place. Uh, But we hope that some of the stuff we've provided in this episode can help you and your kids while we all stay in place and flatten that curve. We've got a huge post with lots of links up at scienceforthepeople.ca. It's got links to every single thing we mentioned, plus a pile of books um, and episodes linked to those books. And hey, we're a science resource too, you know, so maybe subscribe. We will not be covering a lot of COVID. We will be focusing on our normal science content because we, like you, need something else to think about. So when you need a break from COVID-19, come back and give us a listen. We'll be here for you next week on Science for the People. Science for the People is listener supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount. Your support keeps us afloat and able to keep making great new episodes, and we thank you for it. The show is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. We get help with special projects from K.O. Myers. Our theme song was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern, and its title is Binary Consequence. The show is hosted by Bethany Brookshire, Anika Hazra, Marion Kilgour, and me, Rochelle Saunders. 